What does a successful life look and feel like to you? For everyone, it's going to be a little different. For Dr. Jen Faber, my guest today, she had built a six-figure wellness practice and was a thought leader in her industry. But despite all she had created in her professional life, she felt like a version of herself was trapped inside and was screaming to break free. Jen had to redefine what a successful life meant to her. She took a hard look at the fact that a good life for her was about doing what made her happy, living in a thrive mode, and feeling alive every day. So, she made changes, big changes. She sold everything she owned and became a digital nomad. Stay tuned as we get a peek into someone's life who has taken the refrain that we use so often on this show of creating your life on purpose. And let's watch how she did it. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Dr. Jen Faber is a lifestyle entrepreneur and author of The 90-Day Life, How to Live More in Three Months Than You Have in Three Years. Her purpose is to empower people to break away from burnout and to live the life of their dreams. For the past 15 years, Dr. Jen has focused in the fields of health and wellness, neuroscience, psychology, and motivation. She was awarded the Hildale Research Fellowship in Social Psychology and was a teaching assistant in Experimental Psychology. She received her doctorate of chiropractic in 2006, and then she went on to work in Morocco and New Zealand, and then returned to the U.S., and now she has transitioned into coaching. Jen, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Do you have anything you would like to add to that introduction? <laughs> I would love to first say thank you for having me, Lori. It's such a pleasure to connect with you, and I love how you very humbly described my life as living in thrive mode. So I'm very excited to talk more about that today. I'm excited to hear about it. <laughs> Me too. So I'm excited to share. <laughs> so let's start with your story, how you determined you weren't living the life you wanted and why did you leave everything that you knew? You know, it's interesting because I think for a lot of us in life, we're really taught to follow a path follow this path of, you know, go to school and start a career and start a family, things can some, in some ways get laid out for us. That's, there's a definite cultural path. There is, yeah. And, mm -hmm. it, and it can be based on so many different influences, our, our upbringing, the, our close circle, what society mm -hmm. thinks we should do, what we're modeled. And I, like so many people, I was on a very similar path. And so I woke up at the start of my career as a doctor, and I woke up to it very early in the first couple of weeks, realizing I didn't actually enjoy it, which was interesting. Bummer. That, that's a huge bummer because <laughs> becoming a doctor is no small feat. It isn't. No, I mean, you're looking at eight years of school, um, six figures in student loans. It's a huge commitment. And what I realized is that the way I was taught on how running a practice should be was actually not the type of doctor I wanted to be. It was very fast paced, um, seeing patients every couple of minutes, not really an opportunity to focus on building quality doctor patient relationships. So within a matter of weeks, I was already waking up to a life of burnout. And for a lot of people now, where you see that the midlife crisis is now becoming the quarter life crisis, mm -hmm. I think 
it's because people are, are waking up realizing the expectations that were set for them is actually not what they've woken up to. So that quickly transformed to me starting my own practice and realizing I'm, I'm actually more of an entrepreneur than I am an employee. So it'd be better off for me to start my own practice. And I completely transformed the way I practiced and did pretty much the opposite of what I was being taught. I spent 30 minutes with my patients. I traveled to their homes or offices. I minimized all my expenses down at least 90% compared to what my typical colleagues were experiencing because I knew I wanted to have more freedom in my business and more freedom in my schedule than what my industry taught me I should have. I love just the thinking outside the box because so often, and I think of this really often and have throughout my life, that we just are shown certain ways to do things. So we think that's the only way to do things. And the minute you start thinking outside and just trying different ways of doing the same thing that, you know, just that we do living, sometimes you find so much more satisfaction. You do. And I'm so glad you said that because I think for each of us, that path is different. And it doesn't mean that you have to do something completely the opposite. But I think what you have to do is listen to your values. Mm -hmm. Listen to the values that are important to you because if the path you're on doesn't match in alignment with those values, then you have to ask yourself, what do I need to do to change that despite what anyone else thinks? And Lori, I'll tell you, when I decided to build a house call practice that was based on patients paying me out of pocket, that was based on low volume, not numbers, but quality care, I can't tell you how many naysayers I had. And that could have been a very easy time for me to just say, you know what, they're right. And I'm just going to stay on this path because I shouldn't listen to the type of doctor I want to be. I shouldn't listen to myself. I should listen to other people's opinions. So that's really the first point I want to make is, is just that. Isn't it interesting though, that in your industry, that it would be so frowned upon to be personal. That's, that's sad. It's, <laughs> but I, I love the idea of, of you saying, no, I really want this to be personal and, and about the people and not about the money as much, but about what I'm doing in my work. I think that's really beautiful. Oh, I appreciate that. And I think it's something that we honestly all struggle with, regardless of the industry that we're in, because I think we live in such a fast-paced instant gratification, strive for success, strive for wealth, strive for growth, strive for court climbing up the ladder. And while all of those things can be great, they have to be great in the context of how you want to live. Now, what's interesting in, in my own story is that when I decided to start my house called practice, even at that point of inception, this was back in 2009, I knew I wanted to help other people who were dealing with burnout like I was. And at the time, I thought about that in the health and wellness context. Now it's on a much bigger scale. It's not industry specific because I realized there were other people out there like me who felt lost, trapped, boxed in, looking for something unconventional that was more authentic to them. So even at that point of inception, starting my own practice, I knew at some point I'd probably walk away from it because I couldn't do both justice. So you fast forward seven years later. I had everything I wanted in my practice. I was practicing the way I wanted. I was booked. I, I basically had a waiting list because everything in my practice was based on referrals. I was working maybe 20 hours a week and making ten dollars to $14,000 a month. It was great. Wow. I had all this freedom. Lovely. It was lovely. It was, it was amazing. And for a lot of people, I quote unquote, had it all. 
Yet inside was this desire to make a greater impact. And I think it's something that we're all driven by is how do we want to make a greater impact? What's the imprint we want to leave? What's the impression we want to leave before we leave this earth? And it could be for if you're a parent, what's the impact you want to leave on your family? If, if you're passionate about your work, it could be about the imprint that you want to leave on your colleagues, your coworkers, your, your clients. For me, that impact itch just got bigger. And I realized that was my time when I was at my peak to leave. Kind of like when the professional athlete reaches their prime and they win the Super Bowl or they get the, get the trophy in the NBA finals, right? That's when they decide, this is my graceful exit. So, Were you afraid? I was terrified. <laughs> I was completely terrified because I basically told myself, I'm going to commit now to coaching, mentoring, training colleagues who are dealing with burnout. And I had no training in being an entrepreneur, let alone running my own business in that sense. And I was completely terrified that I was going to fail. Did you have any training in being a coach, transitioning from you know physical wellness to mental wellness? Not in the traditional sense from having certifications. My training was based on experience. And I recognize that a lot of the training I myself tried to pursue in my industry was based on a very cookie cutter approach. Build a practice this way spend a lot of money on your practice. It was very traditionally training. And I've realized that a lot of the colleagues in my industry were finding that the training they were pursuing was just that. It was teaching them, this is your path. This is your only path. Follow this path. And I thought, my story is about the experiences I've recognized of flipping convention on its head. And I thought, if there are people out there that are like me, and I know that they are because they were starting to reach out to me, I recognize that's really my value. But that also takes a lot of trust. You know, we're oh, talking yeah. that we need, we need the degrees and the certifications. You know, I have the initials DR in front of my name and I'm proud of that. But when you step away from that, you have to recognize that you have to listen to your strengths. You have to listen to what it is that you want to do. So did you deal with the imposter syndrome? That's one of the things that entrepreneurs and people who um, step into um, influence oriented positions, especially when they're trying to create them themselves. I see that a lot in the industry of the stories we're telling ourselves about, oh, am I qualified to do this? Or, you know, all those doubt stories that are there. Did Was that a part of your journey? It ironically wasn't at that stage. It actually became a part of my journey, though, four years after of experience in coaching. So here's, mm. here's what's interesting about this. So a lot of the doubts for me at that time were figuring out how do I reach people to make that kind of impact? How do I structure my training? How do I structure my impact? How do I monetize on that? I was really thinking more sense of survival and livelihood because I was walking away from stable income. So that was a lot of my focus at the time. Now, here's what's interesting. Four years after doing that, I, I left my practice. I left the city I lived in. I'm now living in Miami, a totally different location. Now, all of a sudden, I wake up recognizing that I didn't enjoy where I was living. Now, I had an itch to make an even bigger impact because I realized now there's people who are dealing with burnout across all industries and across the planet. And it wasn't just specific to the work I was doing. Yet, I found myself now having this itch again to change things. And that's when I decided to sell all of my possessions and completely strip away everything that I knew. Now, 
as I'm saying this to your audience, I'm not going to be the advocate that says, strip away everything you know, completely dismantle your entire life. For me, that just works. I just tear down the box. And But for someone else, it could be just changing their perspective. That's what I like to do as a coach. What's the box you're in? What's the best way we can help you get out of it? So you're not trapped by four walls, whether that's in your mind or in your circumstances. So here's what's interesting. I created all this lifestyle freedom now. I've sold all of my possessions. I'm hopping around from location to location. Living this lifestyle, I want tons of freedom. I'm starting to build my coaching business. And all of a sudden, I wake up recognizing I want to be entrepreneurs, an entrepreneur like the entrepreneurs I've looked up to. I want to be like the Brendan Bruchards, the Marie Forleos, the Gabby Bernsteins, the Lewis Howes, these people I've been studying for years and following for years and and modeling what they've been doing and teaching. And then that voice kicks in that says, you're not good enough to be like them. You're just starting your following. You can't do that. There's no way you can do that. You're not good enough. You're all of these things. And (laughs) that's when I realized I actually had still been hiding within the comfort of an industry I knew within the comfort of a type of audience that I knew, AKA colleagues who were burned out. Yet that voice in me, it said, what if you could impact hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the planet with your message? What if you actually could take that vision bigger? And I realized I'd actually been saying no to myself all this time. Despite all the freedom I created, it looked great on paper. Someone could say, Jen, what's possibly missing? You can travel around. You have this freedom to live and work wherever you want. You're starting, you can work for yourself. You're your own boss. But I think the thing that all of us need to recognize is the biggest trap we can face are the mental trappings. Mm-hmm. It's not our circumstances. It's not, it's not anything else but that because you can change your life in any moment. But if you keep telling yourself, I'm not good enough, then you're just building a prison of doubt and a prison of fear. And we always talk about those as stories. We're, you know, we're talking about the same thing and the stories. What stories am I telling myself today? And, and while those stories seem like they're fact to us, because we've been telling them to ourselves for so long and they are kind of our interpretation, but becoming aware of what are those stories you're repeating to yourself and how are they holding you back and are they fear generated? Because the life that you are living right now, not just you, but every listener is something that you have created. You have created this by your energy, by your attitude, by the responses that you've had to the people around you, by whether you chose to stay with that abusive husband, by whether you chose not to, by whether, you know, whatever you broke away from or whatever you stayed in, whatever fear you responded to, whatever you let rule, you get to look at your life and take responsibility for what you've created. But you also get to be empowered and say, I get to write whatever story I want every day. I wake up in the morning, I get to choose my attitude. I get to choose how I interact with people. I get to choose what I say no to and what I say yes to and the energy that I put off and what I spend my time doing. And that's what you're talking about is Mm -hmm. helping people realize their own power to do that and become aware of the stories in their heads that are holding them back. Yeah, so beautifully put. And I think one of the things that I'm a huge advocate of is we have an opportunity to create second chances in our life in any Mm. moment. And ironically, though, that doesn't have to necessarily mean that your life is terrible. Yes, you could be in a bad relationship. You could be in a relationship where your partner doesn't bring out the best in you. You could have a job or a boss that you absolutely hate. That stuff can be going on too, because that is the ebb and flow of life. But your life could also be good. It's okay. 
I'm just rolling with the punches. I'll wait till Friday or the weekends when I can really live. I'll, I'll put off my life till the next vacation. I'll, I'll wait to do the hikes I want to do until retirement. It's okay. I'll just stay in the routine because it's comfortable and it's safe. So for me, I think that's one of the biggest things is I love teaching how people can stop taking time for granted because it's not guaranteed. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned when I was really 100% nomadic. I'm living my life in these mini chapters where I'm in one location for four weeks and then I completely walk away from it. And then I go to another location for four weeks or eight weeks. And I was creating these mini chapters where time was instantly urgent. And I recognized if I'm only here for this short amount of time, now all of a sudden, what do I want to do in those weeks ahead of me? What experiences do I want to have? What do I want to experience? What goals do I want to achieve? What fears do I want to overcome? And then, Lori, here's the amazing thing. I recognized that's how I need to live. Mm. And I recognized that's how I need to teach people how to live. Not about the lifestyle. Not about, I don't teach people how to become digital nomads, but if people want to learn that from me, I'll happily show them the way. But it's teaching people, how do you live with the sense of urgency? How do you live with the sense of if the clock is ticking because it is and change is inevitable, how do you take life at the reins and actually give yourself that power to recognize you're at the power of changing your circumstances and you're also at the helm of changing your perception of your circumstances. And for people, changing the direction of life could mean one of two things. One, it could mean I'm going to look at my life and not change a single thing but I'm going to change my perception of it because you know what? I've forgotten to appreciate the fact that I get a paycheck every two weeks or appreciate the fact that I can wake up and I can walk or that I can make breakfast for my children or I can go to bed with my partner every night and you could change nothing but your perception. On the flip side though, go but ahead. See, that would change everything. The perception mm -hmm. changes everything. You can change nothing but that perception and change everything. Everything, yeah. And, and the, the powerful thing about that too is that if, if you take that same approach and feel that sense of empowerment, that's when you recognize you have the power to change your circumstances and your path too at any moment. And that's what I really recognize after I had really reinvented my life a few times over, yet I still woke up to this point where I realized I'd built this box of doubts in my head this question popped into my head and it said, what if I could try to achieve everything I wanted to in 90 days? Why don't I just try it? I don't know where the question came from, but I asked myself, how many adventures could I overcome or could I do? How many fears could I overcome? How many experiences could I have? How many goals could I step into and achieve? And that was the seed for me that eventually became my book, The 90 Day Life. So did you do it? I did. I did. Oh my gosh. It was amazing is what I really recognized. And in the book, I actually walked through this process of how to rebuild your life in a 90 day time frame, but more importantly, how to actually elevate your quality of life. Because for most people, we're living life on autopilot or we're waiting for an opportunity in the future to live. And for me, I, I walk readers through how to actually live more in three months and what are the different stages to experience. So, but first I had to experience it myself, right? I'm not just going to write about something. Yes. So yeah, I decided my own 90 day life journey, which became the foundation for a lot of the principles I talk about in the book, but it first had to start with getting it on paper. What are the goals? What are the priorities? What are the things that are important to me? And not just from a bucket list standpoint where I'm throwing everything out there, of what I want to do in the next 50 years of my life, if I'm graced to have a long life. But what are the things now that if I actually start to focus on, I will instantly feel more enriched? What are the things that I've been saying no to? And for me, that came from a couple of different angles. There were really four different areas I 
looked at in my life. And I talk about those more in the book, but I, I asked myself, how can I put more love out into the world? How can I focus more on serving the people I serve in my work? How can I overcome the fears that I have and have more adventures in my life? How can I also be a healthier version of myself and thrive at that level? And I think that's really important to look at your life from a way where you're blocking it, you're compartmentalizing it into these different arenas. Because I think for a lot of people, we define success in this one vertical, let me just focus on my work first, or let me just focus on being a parent first, or let me just focus on losing my weight first. And then we still wake up recognizing that we've achieved a goal, but why don't we feel fully happy still? I believe that it's about inching different parts of your life forward at the same time. So you're growing in all areas very holistically. No, I like that because balance always, it, it makes for a healthier mindset, makes for a more enjoyable life. Um, absolutely. So I want to hear about your 90-day process, like what that looked like for you. But before we head into that, tell me real quick, like what are the three top things that you see in your clients that hold them back? from, you know, taking this second chance or creating this life. Just real quick, hit on those. Sure, absolutely. The three things that hold people back from living the lives they want are one, past decisions, two, the current circumstances of their life, and three, their self-limiting definitions. And I'll break down each of those really briefly. Any decisions from our past happen in a moment of time. We're making a decision that we think is the best for us in that moment. And the next day, it may need to be a different decision. One of the questions I love to pose is, what are the past decisions that are actually holding you from evolving and growing? What are the things that you feel attached to that aren't nurturing you anymore? What are the things that you're telling yourself, I still have to do because I've done this already. I am supposed to stick with this path because I've made these decisions in my past. Or I did something really bad in the past, I'm going to just keep beating myself up for it for the rest of my life. Your past can be the stronghold from you evolving and growing forward. So one of the things I'd love to look at is how can people use the past as a tool for learning and lessons, but not a tool for attachment. Once we can establish that, then we can start to look more at the current circumstances in your life. What was based on those past decisions of how you're living now? What areas of your life are you really satisfied with and you absolutely love 100%, but what are the areas where you feel that itch, where you feel like there's a gap? You feel like there's a part of you that's missing that you're not being able to experience. And when we can identify that gap, then we can start to look at what are the priorities that are important to you? What are the things that you need to start to put focus on again, or maybe for the first time ever? And it's understanding your life at that level of awareness of where am I happy and where am I not that really starts to create this framework for change. You can start to understand what goals are most important, what priorities are most important. And the reason why I believe a lot of resolutions fail or traditional goal setting strategies fail is that we just look at the goal and how to achieve it. And typically it's set really high without a plan from day one to how do you achieve that goal step by step. But two, we forget the context of why that goal is important, why you're making this a priority in your life. What is achieving that goal of losing 30 pounds mean? What is achieving that goal of getting that promotion mean to you? It's not just about the goal itself. But then once you have to know your why. You absolutely have to know your why. And interestingly enough, I like to take people through, whether it's through my coaching or my book or online trainings that I have, I'd like to take them through these three in this order because if you can understand the priorities that you're missing, that's when the head trash kicks in. That's when people start to say, well, yeah, but I couldn't do that. Well, I see other people do that, but this couldn't happen to me or I can't make that level of money or I can't have the six-pack abs like these women I follow, right? That's when the self-limiting definitions kick in. 
And that's now where we can use the context of what's missing and figure out how do you break through those, which I like to share in the book as well, because I take the readers through a very similar journey of establishing what's currently working in their life, what isn't, what do they need to reprioritize and shift, and how do we create then a 90-day challenge that then structures how can they rebuild their life and create a sense of constant evolution and constant momentum where they're really growing through it over time, overcoming the fears, overcoming the self-limiting definitions, and actually taking their life from good to great or bad to great, and how you can actually do it in a shorter time than what you previously thought possible. Okay, so what did your 90-day, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all this in 90 days, what did that look like for you? The first thing I had to establish was in looking at those four core areas I mentioned, so love, serve, health, and adventures. I had to really look at on paper, what are all the different things that show up for me in those categories that I've been wanting to do? So the weight that I've been wanting to lose, um, hiking summits, summiting mountains, and doing really challenging hikes. Writing a book was ironically on that list to do in 90 days because I've been putting it off. Um, applying to become a TED speaker. I, I put out all of the goals that have been terrifying me. And I think that's actually where we can find the change. If we can face fear in the eye, that's really where the change happens because we start to embrace being a little uncomfortable. Mm. And I think it's where we can get out of that comfort zone. It's where we can start to find our growth. So I put my goals on paper to find that discomfort. Once I understood that, I looked at each of those areas and asked myself, what are the big three in each of those? And what do I need to do over a 90-day period? How do I schedule it? How do I structure it? What's the timeline for each of these goals? So I could actually have it calendared out on paper, not just, hey, in 90 days, hopefully I can accomplish this and then wake up on day 90 being frustrated because I didn't. What's the structure that I need to create? And what are the habits, the mindset tools, the day-to-day things that I need to do to constantly grow towards all of those areas? So it also became a journey of a couple of things. One, recognizing that it wasn't just about achieving the goal, which is a way that I've lived a huge part of my life, and recognizing that if you've already begun the process of moving towards that goal, you've already won. You're already in the present because you've decided to make that change to commit to a higher version of yourself. What I also recognize though in doing that is there were nine core themes, nine core things I needed to elevate in my life to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish in 90 days. And a few examples of those are bringing more novelty into my life, bringing more spontaneity into my life, I wanted to really challenge myself to ask myself, where have I gotten comfortable in routine, routines that haven't served me? Where have I gotten comfortable in ways that don't serve me? And how can I actually live into each of these nine stages? You are so courageous. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I mean, you're talking about some of the hardest things that people do everything in their lives they can possibly do to avoid, which is getting out of your comfort zone, which is actually considering how do I make myself uncomfortable today? Which like you said, that creates the possibility of things being different in your life. Like if you want something different than what you're getting, you have to change what you're doing or, or you're going to keep getting what you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's interesting, I'm, I'm going to be really transparent. I'm still figuring this stuff out. And I think that's why I really love being where I am in, in my space right now as, as a coach and becoming a thought leader in this space is that I love stripping it down and getting authentic and saying, stay, I'm, I'm learning with you. I'm not just a guru on a podium or a stage saying, I figured it all out and this is what you need to do. It's a constant daily practice to continually not let those fears hold you back because here's what's interesting. If you can have a toolkit of understanding what's important in your life, what are the habits you want to commit to, what are the routines you want to commit to, what's the spice in your life that you want to commit to and bringing passion back into your life again, 
what you'll recognize is that you'll start to wake up to different fears, different Mm -hmm. challenges, because when you elevate yourself to another level, then all of a sudden you recognize now I'm just going to face this new level that I need to break through and figure out. So once, once I had my book written, then I had to figure out how do I get it out into the world? And I freaked out because I thought people are going to hate it. It's going to suck. I had that same self-doubt. And then once I started to get book sales and book reviews coming in, then I got invites to do media appearances. And then I thought, what if I suck on TV? <laughs> so it's a fascinating because we'll, we'll, we will all go through the cycle of fear staring us in the face. It's in our primal wiring. The fear never, ever goes away. But what I love to really talk about is how do we channel fear as a tool rather than as a roadblock? And I think for a lot of people, it's, it's funny, you know, I, I, I feel very graced and humble when I hear you say things like, you're really courageous. And I, I, sometimes I'm like, am I? And then I'm like, I guess I am, <laughs> you know? And, but I think it's all because it's recognizing how do we use the things that typically hold us back and channel them for momentum instead. There's a, a, um, another coach, Ryan Clark, and I interviewed him early on in the podcast. And I've noticed that in his posts and the things he's doing now, he's talking about that very idea of how do I change fear into excitement? That, that's his angle is teaching people how to take that fear and instead that intensity inside them um, morphing it into the feeling of excitement toward whatever it is that they're going to do. And I haven't worked with him on that at all, but it, but it's kind of, it feels like the concept you're talking about. It does. Yeah. And I love to address the fear of failure because interestingly enough, it's one of the common questions that I'll get from people who feel stuck in life is I'd love to make changes or I'd love to do what you're doing or you're so courageous, you're so adventurous, but I could never be like that. And I'll share a brief story, but then I want to talk about three things that I'd love to address to help people overcome the fear of failure. When I was in the thick of being 100% nomadic, traveling to different locations, you strike up conversations with people and typically they ask, you know, where are you from and what do you do? It's kind of an interesting answer when you are living out of a suitcase and your work is on your computer and you take your life wherever you go. So as I would start to share what I do, one of the first common responses I would get is, you're so lucky. Oh, that's my dream. I wish I could do that. I I could never do that. I I heard people sharing the same self-limiting doubts that I had just months prior, years prior even, I'll say. And at first I would respond to that question and say, oh, well, thank you. I feel really grateful to have this life. And then after I started saying that, I'm like, what are you doing, Jen? You're just reinforcing their doubts. You're just reinforcing the fact that they believe they can't do it. So I started to change my answer. And my answer became, you know, it took a lot of decisions to get here. And it took a lot of courage to get here. This didn't just happen overnight. I I didn't just wake up to this way of life overnight. Now, mind you, as your audience is listening, they now know a lot of things I had to change. I walked away from a lot of things that I knew and I could still be in my successful practice in my comfort little bubble with a niche. So that's something I really love to point out too is that I think a lot of people are so afraid to fail, but then miss that there's actually an opportunity to create micro changes over time to inch you towards a different path. You don't have to tear it all down at once. And in fact, you're probably not going to do that because you won't get the six pack abs overnight. You won't get the seven figure business overnight. You won't necessarily move to a different country overnight or whatever that is. I think people need to recognize there's many steps to take, but In fairness of fear of failure, fear of failure is that projection of us at a later point down the road. This will never work. I can't do this. What if this completely bombs? And it's completely the opposite of what I have planned. So there's three things that I love to say to help people overcome the fear of failure. The first is this. Look at your life exactly as it is now. Project it out five years. 
You're doing exactly the same thing. You're exactly the same person. You're living the same day-to-day life. Are you happy? Five years from now, imagine those candles on the birthday cake. Imagine the age that you're going to be. Let's just project it. Because the fear of failure is a projection of a different version of ourselves, yet we never challenge ourselves. We never challenge ourselves to ask, what if I'm the same? So think about that for a moment. What if I'm exactly the same? That's kind of scary, actually. It sounds super boring. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? That's, That's what I did. And I, Lori, was terrified of becoming that person because we have to understand that each of us has a set of values that are important to us and we need to stay very connected with them. For me, a few of my values, as your audience may be guessing, is free-spirited, adventure, freedom, travel, passion, living this life with this sense of verve and spontaneity. Those were things that were also important to me. And I woke up to a version of Jen that said, okay, so you have this degree and you have this success and you have this income, but you don't have those things. How would you feel in five years if you still don't? And that's, that was a huge wake-up call for me. And it, it is scary. But I, as a coach, I love to hold up a mirror to my clients and say, look, now look ahead. This is where we can actually use fear of failure is a projection into the future. How can we actually use projection and foresight as a tool for, for motivation? So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, is also this. The fear of, like, that people are going to be like, oh, that sounds great. And I, I'm, you know, obviously I'm not happy and I want to change things, but what if I still fail? So let's actually face the fear in the face or look at the fear in the face and say, okay, let's say that you fail. Let's say that your business fails. Let's say that um, you starting a new relationship fails. Anything could happen. Play out your worst case scenario in your head. You play it out. We're going to get down and dirty and messy and we're going to see how ugly this scenario can get. And that's a question I ask myself, who am I if I'm not Dr. Jen, the doctor in practice with her patients? And what if my online business doesn't work? And that's when I said to myself, I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll learn to become a bartender. I'll just move to the mountains like I've wanted to anyways, and I'll find it. I'll figure it out. Because when I was looking for a job for six months and I couldn't find the job that I wanted after I graduated, that's what I really should have done. But instead, I moved to a city I never planned to live in. I moved to an area of the country I never planned to live in. And I lived a way of life that wasn't a good fit because I was just scared that I didn't trust my ability to figure it out. So play out your worst case. Play it out and then ask yourself, okay, what would I do? You'd figure it out. It's what we do. We're not just going to sit if we're failing. We're going to have to figure something out. So if you can project that and create a plan for that, then you're going to start to recognize if you understand you're not happy with who you are five years down the road. And if you understand worst case scenario, I will fail, but I'm going to know what to do about it. All of a sudden that itch of what's missing starts to transform that fear into the fear of not trying. And I really want to make sure that your audience hears that phrase. Take the fear of failure into the fear of not trying. Because if you can do that, it's not getting rid of the fear because the fear is with you, but it's channeling it into different energy. Fear of failure is a block. The fear of not trying is a little poke in the rear that says, get moving, sister. Get moving, brother. Start living. So much. Well, and this, just as you're talking, it makes life feel like such an adventure 
uh, just in its own right, which of course it is, right? I mean, right. it's a story. You're on your own hero's journey. Do you want that to look like, I mean, do you decide what you want it to look like? Maybe it is something that's really predictable as long as that's creating joy and peace in you and you're contributing in the ways that you want to contribute. You get to write your story however you want, but you're, you're right. And I love how you're bringing home this idea of how adventurous it is at every single turn according to every single decision that you want to make. And it is part of a a constant morphing, a constant take the right path, take the left path, go straight. Do I climb this mountain? Do I not climb that mountain? But you get to decide all of those things. Yes. And and a lot of it really comes down to being a consummate student in your own life Mm. and giving yourself the opportunity to ask yourself these questions on an ongoing basis. I'm really mindful of that too as a coach because even in my book, I walk readers through a 90-day journey that they can implement in their own lives. But I'm also mindful of the fact that day 91 is a continuation of that very same journey. The questions that I asked myself that framed my own 90-day life challenge and now what I share with my audience are things that I still ask myself. I still ask myself, am I happy? Do I need to change something? What's working? What isn't? And that's the thing I really love to encourage is that we always have the power to ask ourselves those questions. And that for me really addresses one of the themes I'm most passionate about teaching, and it's that idea of impermanence, Mm. embracing the now. So many people are wishing their lives away, yet ironically, one of the biggest regrets of the dying is they wish they wouldn't have wasted so much time, and they wish they would have lived a life that was authentic to them. And when I during my really nomadic phase, so I'm nomadic about half the time now and and I have a home base now, but when I'm nomadic, I still have that in my life because I need that. It's, I need the free spirited side of me to express that and not just stay in the same place. But when I was hundred percent nomadic at the same time, there were two losses in my life. One was my father at the age of 80. And the second was a very dear family friend at the age of 40, completely healthy, fit guy, drops of a heart attack, completely unexpected. And That's when those wake-up calls happen, when something happens outside of us or outside of our control. And it was a lesson for me to recognize the fact that we just have to choose to not waste a minute. Mm. Don't get lost in distractions. Don't get lost in blowing your days just looking at your phone or scrolling through social media. Yes, that stuff's all fine and good. But a lot of times I think we're so lost in finding instant gratification to feel okay. Let me just buy something to feel better about myself or let me just eat that pie or let me, you know, let me wait until Friday and I'll just look at the clock and tick life away. Now look, all those things are great. I love pie. (laughs) I love getting new clothes. (laughs) But it's actually about how do you create sustained happiness and how do you create sustained momentum in your life? And a lot of that I believe is through choosing to live a life where impermanence is a core way that you're living. Why wait till Friday when you can do those things on Monday? Why wait until the next vacation where maybe you can create a mini vacation instead? Why wait until you retire to do the things you love? Maybe you're waiting to visit the mountains and go on a hike in your next vacation. What if you just go on a stroll in your neighborhood? and take those same principles that are important to you. The concept of impermanence is really, really interesting to me. You're making me, because it, it, you're making me think about this concept. It, for me, it's tying into being present, right? Living in the present. But, but that's different too than impermanence. I think so often, and I'm speaking from my own mental, inside my own mental cage here, but... Mm-hmm that there is a sense of permanence. Like I'm waiting for things to get permanent. Like, like, 
and and there's also almost a little bit of fear with oh is this going to stay like this or is am i going to be able to change this um i i don't know i'm i'm being really incoherent here but that but that idea of living from a state of impermanence makes it so that you can actually be in the present and enjoy the moment because you know that the moment is fleeting and maybe it's a relationship that you're in and you get to know that that relationship isn't always going to stay the same it is absolutely impermanent whether the re- you stay in the relationship or not you're going to change the person's going to change mm-hmm. things as they are now are not going to be the same as things tomorrow and and maybe that relationship won't even be there. So the the preciousness of being super present to the person or super present to the experience. And you know, the same thing with an adventure, a hike, climbing a peak, whatever it is. It isn't permanent. Everything is constantly in this state of flux. So living with an awareness of this impermanence, it's such great advice and it's such an interesting thing to keep in the forefront of your mind because it does help you enjoy things and not take them for granted. It does. And I think it really does two things. I think for a lot of us, we're either stuck in our past decisions or we're projecting into the future what we want to create at some point in our lives. And then we miss that entire journey along the way. And I'm really mindful to make this distinction too, that living a life with that level of good urgency. It's not just about waking up every day and thinking, what are all the radical things that I can change? And I'm going to go skydiving today and I'm going to now bungee jump the next day. It's not even so much about that. A lot of it can come down to pure appreciation. Appreciating the things that are in your life on the full spectrum, by the way. So appreciate the fact that your children right now call you mommy and daddy, and at some point they may not cuddle with you anymore, right? Appreciate the fact that you can wake up and you can see. Appreciate the fact that you're you can walk your dog today because you may not always have your dog with you. Appreciate the things that you're already experiencing. But I would also say appreciate the challenges too and look at the challenges as a gift. Appreciate the fact that if you're not feeling authentic, maybe you're struggling in a relationship, appreciate the lessons that person's giving you. Appreciate the lessons you're recognizing that maybe you deserve more or you're worth more or you need to contribute more or you need to appreciate that person more. Appreciate the fact that you're overweight because then it's motivation to eat the salad instead of the burger. Mm-hmm. And part of that appreciation or part of that idea of living with a sense of impermanence is just that pure fact of enjoying that moment of being present right. so I'll give of, you a, of being happy. Yeah. And I'll give you an interesting example. Um, during the nomadic phase for me, one of the places that I went to was Boulder, Colorado, which is a place that I'd wanted to live since college. I had a college roommate who was from Boulder and she talked about it incessantly to the point where we're like, okay, we get it. Boulder's great. All throughout when I graduated from chiropractic school, the first place I looked to was Boulder. I wanted to live in the mountains and I ended up moving on the East Coast. Now, DC is a great city, just not a good fit for an outdoorsy, free-spirited mountain girl like me. And yet here I was now six weeks ahead of me to live in Boulder. And I thought, this is my time. This is my time. And oh no, what if I leave after six weeks and I miss it? And I realize I've been wanting to live here for for 10 years. Here's what's really interesting. I had never been more present than I was living in Boulder for six weeks, 42 days. I was in Boulder, a place I wanted to live in for 10 years. And those six weeks, I hiked the Flatirons. I walked on Pearl Street and had coffee. I went snowboarding. I learned how to snowboard. It was like a place called Eldora, 45 minutes away. I went to these crunchy organic vegan eateries. I was just trying all of it. I was just living into the whole like crunchy boulder lifestyle. And I'm kind of a crunchy girl. And what was interesting is that at the end of those six weeks, I actually told myself, I feel complete. 
I feel good. If I don't come back to Boulder again, I'm good. And that was fascinating to me because I'd lived for 10 years having Boulder on this bucket list. And I think that's really the thing about impermanence is how can you feel complete every day? Even if it's just in the routine things that you're doing every day. And I believe that you can feel complete by doing two things. Looking up and recognizing what you already have and also looking up and recognizing what you're missing out on. One's going to create appreciation and gratitude and the other's going to create change. But it's finding that balance between the two. So you aren't in a constant state of yearning for something that's missing, but you're in a constant state of appreciation and growth. I really think that's what it comes down to. And it sounds like what you said of really being satisfied, I think part of that too was that you lived it so fully, like you you lived it full force, 100%, trying everything, really enjoying it. Had you lived half-ass or fearful, you probably would have had a different experience where you wouldn't have been satisfied with it at the end. But this full out, I'm going to just you know, love being here and live it fully with an open heart and try things and experience it. You can do a lot in six weeks with that kind of attitude. You can. And I think it also could happen in a moment. It could happen at a day-to-day basis. And it's why one of the things, so I have this um, like bi-weekly segment show called TGIM. Thank God it's Monday because I like to teach people how do they embrace every single day rather than like wishing it away until hump day and then Friday and then the weekend because it can happen in those micro moments. And I think this is what's important. With impermanence, the opposite of impermanence is attachment. Attachment to the things that we have to do that we're supposed to do or this is the way we're supposed to do it. Now look, we all have responsibilities, right? We all have to put food on the table and maintain a roof over our heads and make money and there are responsibilities and there's ways that we need to do those things. But I think work is a great example. More people work through their lunch breaks, more people sit at the desk the entire day, more people feel like they have to work in eight hours rather than try to work in six, more people create these boxes of the way they've been doing things, even though it's really not working for them. So just as a brief example, one of my favorite things to help people embrace impermanence is rather than wish your weeks away and tell yourself you have to work through lunch, take the 30 minutes and go for a walk, have lunch with a coworker, sit outside on a park bench, take some of that time for you. Impermanence, I really find, also is the art of remembering to put you as a priority and not put yourself last. And I think we, we struggle with this with work because we have to get our work done. I think people can struggle with this as parents because obviously we're going to put our children first, but you can't lose yourself along the way. And I think that's why those midlife crises happen and the quarter-life crises happen because we don't recognize that if we're neglecting ourselves and things that are important to us, we actually can't be the best version that we want to be for the work we're doing and the people that we want to serve. I wasted in some ways. So I look at it as lessons now, but I, I beat myself up for it for a while. When I was living in DC for seven years, I just kept thinking about, I just want to hike. I just want to live in the mountains so I can hike. And I can't hike because the Appalachians are too far away and I'm working six days a week and I don't have the time. And I just created my own box. I created a state of yearning. When you create a state of impermanence, then your creative brain starts to find opportunities. And this version of Jen now, I give everything to go back to DC, live for two weeks and hike along the Potomac, go to the local parks, Mm. just do the things that I wanted to do. But I told myself I couldn't because here's this big grandiose definition of how I have to live, yet I'm not appreciating the incremental things I can do. So live and learn. You have an experience in Boulder where you did exactly the opposite of that. And then in DC, where you sort of held back and wished it away. So you have seen both sides of that coin. 
Yeah. And that's exactly where part of it inspired the subtitle for me is how to live more in three months than you have in three years. And that actually came from a journey in when I lived in Miami. I was there for actually about two years. And a few months prior to deciding to sell everything I owned, I had about three months to live in Miami in a city that was, was fun. It's vibrant. But again, like I just need more chill places to live. I, I don't do well in cities. And all of a sudden, I had different eyes in Miami. I fell in love with the architecture. I started to take up rowing. I started to start my days. Every morning was at the beach to watch the sunrise. I would go to the pool every day. And that's when I realized it's actually the, the chapter or the title of one of my chapters, like a subchapter. It says, how I live more in three months than I had in several years. Because I recognized oh my gosh, the clock was ticking. And this is also where too, people looking at the circumstances of your life, it could just be shifting things a little bit differently. If you're bored because you're going to the same place for dinner every Friday night, go to a different place. If you hate your commute, go a different way. Go 10 minutes earlier. Listen to a podcast like the Love Your Story podcast. Change it. Micro little changes. If you're bored because you're getting the same type of bread for toast every morning, try something different. (laughs) And I'm such an advocate for that because I... I'm all about helping people find transformation, but I'm also mindful that transformation can happen in the small changes. Mm. Transformation can happen in little moments of shifting your routine, little moments of shifting to create spontaneity, to create novelty. And one of the exercises I talk about in my book is this concept of routine flushing, where you take your routine, you write it out, what you do minute by minute, hour by hour, and you flush the things down the toilet that aren't working for you or that you're bored with that you need to change. If brushing your teeth is boring, then brush your teeth in your underwear and dance around to a song you love. (laughs) If you're making your kids breakfast only on Saturdays or making them pancakes only on Saturdays, because they eat something healthy, surprise them and make pancakes on a Wednesday. Where can you invoke these little changes and that little bit of spice and zest again? Because that's how we were younger in life. That's how we were as kids. Everything was fun and everything was playful. And then we get all serious as adults. So impermanence to me means so many things. It is creating that spontaneity. It's creating that ability to just be present and be free and change and do things differently. You know, you are such a wise woman. Where can people get your book? The easiest way is to go to 90daylifebook.com. And if they go directly to that link, what I'll give you is two things. One, the link to Amazon, but two, go to 90daylifebook.com because once you get your copy on Amazon, I'm going to hook you up with four bonuses for free because I love you and I want to step up and serve and help you elevate your life. So get the copy on Amazon, but go to 90daylifebook first. It'll have the link to Amazon there. Come back and you'll get the audiobook for free. You'll get a 60-page workbook where I walk you through all of the coaching exercises and questions that I guide readers through in every single chapter for free. You're also going to get a three-part video training series for free on how to navigate your life. And you're going to get an assessment on your life satisfaction where you can assess your areas of satisfaction in the four core areas I talked about in this interview. And you get all those bonuses for free when you go to that link and you get your copy. I'm going to go do that. (laughs) <laughs> Great. <Okay. laughs> I'd be happy to share it with you. <laughs> so it's it's 990daylifebook.com. Correct. 90daylifebook.com. Awesome. And all the details are there so people can get their copy and I'll hook you up with the bonuses too. Cha-ching. Thank sure. you, Dr. Jen. Final parting advice. Final parting advice is that you are always at choice to choose one of two things, comfort or courage. Comfort is a good thing in life when it serves you 
discomfort's a bad thing in life when it boxes you in. Courage is nothing but change. Courage is nothing but looking at the very fears that have been holding you back and just changing them to action, changing them into motivation. So if you're feeling discontent in your life on whatever scale it is, in whatever area of your life it is, always remember that you can choose the path of comfort and safe, or you can choose the path of courage and growth. You can create the life story you want on purpose. One of the main mantras of Love Your Story is the control that we each have, that you have to create your own life story on purpose. Sometimes that's just cleaning up your past stories so that you can create the future that you want. And sometimes that's making small changes that add more connection or peace to your everyday life. Sometimes that might look like a major overhaul, like Dr. Jen shared with us on her life path. Whatever it is for you, please accept that you have the right responsibility and power to create your life on purpose, whatever you want it to be. Does it take courage to make changes? A lot. Does it take vision? It takes a burning vision. Does it take vulnerability and a willingness for some adventure? You bet, but you only live once. What story will you create? What story will your life tell? There was a poem I used to have on my wall years ago. It was by Nadine Stair. And um, it was, if I had my life to live over, I'm going to read that for you now. If I had my life to live over, I dare to make more mistakes next time. I'd relax. I would limber up. I would be sillier than I have been this trip. I would take fewer things seriously. I would make more chances. I would climb more mountains and swim more rivers. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. I would perhaps have more actual troubles, but I'd have fewer imaginary ones. You see, I am one of those people who has lived sensibly and sanely, hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments, and if I had to do it over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I'd try to have nothing else, just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead of each day. I've been one of those people who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a raincoat, and a parachute. If I had to do it again, I would travel lighter than I have. If I had my life to live over, I would start barefoot earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would go to more dances. I would ride more merry-go-rounds. I would pick more daisies. Create your life on purpose, people, because you can, whatever that means to you, whatever you want. Love Your Story is here to remind you and empower you to live and create a story that you love. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for um, enjoying. I hope you got some great things out of the conversation with Dr. Jen. I certainly did. I know I'm going to be listening to this podcast episode <laughs> over and over. Share this podcast with someone you think needs it. And as always, just a reminder to head to the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com. There's the 21-day challenge there that you can sign up. It gives you a new life hack every day for getting out of that comfort zone and creating new possibility, living your best life on purpose. Sign up for that. There's also, if you're feeling like there's past stories that you need to reframe, we just launched the, the online course for the five steps to reframing the stories that are holding you back. 
we would love it if you would go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Thanks for being here with us. Until next week, have fun out there creating your life story. Mm